You're listening to Beyond Your Imagination with Chris Martin, in-depth conversations with dreamers and doers about the 21st century world of independent film. Never before in the history of cinema has animation been more crucial to film and television production, not to mention technologically possible and affordable for artists around the world. From his early days programming draw functions and computers, to currently teaching students rotoscoping and animation, Carl Yonke has been exploring stories and the surreal much of his life. In this conversation, he shares the significant influences in his early career, his approach to storytelling, why he created the Mobile Animation Film Festival, and his prediction for the future of animation. Enjoy the conversation. My name is uh, Carl Yonke. I, uh, I do a lot of different things. I, first of all, I'm an animator. Mostly, primarily, it's a 3D animation that I do. Um, short films. Uh, I also do the occasional like experimental loop piece. Uh, so I explore loop in, in general. And then I also head up uh, the Mobile Animation Film Festival uh, and probably what we're going to talk about a lot today. I also am a professor at uh, the University of South Alabama. I'm the lead animation professor here uh, and I actually started the program here. Oh, wow. So. That's awesome. It's always good to hear from people who are starting animation programs because animation is one of those uh, subjects that I have a heart for. I went to school for it myself, but uh, I wasn't quite the most talented student in the classroom, so I <laughs> I kind of merged into other interests after school. But uh, thank you for bringing the world of animation to students. I think that's such a valuable uh, thing to learn. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I've, I've done my own growth, right, and changed over time. <laughs> so I absolutely can understand from a student's perspective, they have this interest, like maybe from, maybe they watched cartoons as a kid, you know, and they want to make cartoons too that they've seen. But then like my own journey is like, man, I did biomedical visualization <laughs> after school. That's cool. You know, like whoever even thought that was a thing, right. you know? And so I, I approach animation from like all these different mediums and I hope like, I hope that I bring that to the students too. Mm -hmm. so. so was it cartoons for you or was it something else entirely that, that got you interested in animation? Oh man. So like this is a real throwback. Okay. Nice. So I'm gonna, ready. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's maybe it's good podcast material. I'm sure it is. So in, I believe it was junior high. So I was at La Cumbre, uh junior high in Santa Barbara. That's where I grew up in this junior high, this math class this uh teacher and you know i remember her as she was a billion years old you know <laughs> right but here she was with uh the computers and she's like no we we bought all these computers they're all these tandy machines and like before pentium chips you know yeah and it ran dos like basic <laughs> yeah and she taught us how to code in basic so like line numbers and everything so she would teach us math that way. Like, hey, we're going to learn math using formulas and we're going to you're going to do some math that way. And I was like, man, this is revolutionary. And this is junior high <laughs> back in the day. And I stumbled across that you can do draw functions in basic. Right. And so from that moment, I realized that we could use the refresh rate on the computer screen. Like, you know, you clear the screen, redraw the screen and you could draw lines. 
So uh, the first animation I ever did was on a computer was I, I made this dude do jumping jacks and then like put a jump rope underneath him on a Tandy machine in, in junior high. And I was hooked. That was it. From that moment on, like the Budweiser commercial came on at the Super Bowl. I was like, that is what I want to do. Wow. And and so where do you go from that? From that young desire of of you know line art in a, with refresh rate on a Tandy computer. Where do you go from there? Yeah, yo, no, right. So there is nowhere, right? <laughs> it was the joke because there was this huge leap. Yeah, right. There was this huge leap in time. You know, of course, high school's high school, and uh, so you're learning how to draw, and you know, and I would take art classes. And at least Santa Barbara was like really progressive in that sense. It was kind of it's the uppity rich. Uh, neighborhood, although I would, I didn't grow up well off. I grew up in a trailer park of all things, but, uh, I had at least access to, uh, art always. And so it was like a lot of drawing, a lot of painting and whatnot. And so of course it started to lean towards the finer arts. And so in that time there was all these computer arts and then I kind of just dropped off, right? I didn't do anything. So from high school, I went to city college. Um, I majored in chemistry. I don't know why, <laughs> but, but I, I, I always took art classes kind of as a psychological outlet. So I took printmaking uh, a lot. And so that's intaglio printmaking or woodcuts and stuff like that. And eventually uh, my best friend, he's up in San Francisco. He's at like a real college while I'm at city college. And he's like, dude, Carl, you're, you're better than all these other people and you should be doing art clearly. And so I went to the Academy art college uh, in San Francisco, kind of dropped chemistry, uh, realized I was, oh, okay, I was pretty good at this fine art thing. And then they make you take these Photoshop classes, right? It was like, it's 2001, and they're like, hey, you guys probably need to learn how to do this stuff digitally. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm like, well, I've done that before, you know? And then I realized, like, why am I doing all this, like, traditional art? I always had this love and passion for digital art. So that's when I enrolled in, uh, like, it was a game design program at the time. So that was my only, like, avenue was, like, to take these 3D animation classes through this game design new media program. And so then it was like, oh, back to where I, I belonged. From there, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's always been 3D yeah. animation from then on out. And that's 2001 forward. Yeah. That's such a fabulous story, too, because what I love is, like, just how forward thinking that junior high teacher was. That's unreal. Absolutely. I don't even remember her name. Yeah. And that's, that's the saddest part of the story is like, I don't remember this person. I need to go. I mean, I'm 40 plus years old here. I'm, I'm sure she's gone mm -hmm. and passed on. But man, this person with all due respect, yeah. like turned me into who I am today. And she doesn't even know it. Right. Because you think back to that time, there wasn't much in terms of mind-blowing graphics that were occurring, you know, in the 3D realm. I mean, we had The Last Starfighter and Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and and we had, you know, those kind of 3D worlds starting to be created. But, I mean, those took those giant Cray computers. Yeah, absolutely. Those were vector graphics <laughs> machines. Yeah. You know, yeah, super Crays. Uh, you know, the Ford dealerships, are like uh, the Ford only, you know, it was like what NASA had one and Ford had one, you know, <laughs> like, so absolutely. Yeah, no. And learning to do that, like with math. Uh, so also the, the other catch all is like, no, I was always bad at math, like always, <laughs> like all even 
even when I went to grad school, like there were, you know, there should throw math, linear algebra at me. I was like, I don't have a clue. But once I get behind the computer and they start doing three-dimensional geometry, I'm like, oh, this is a no-brainer. I don't know what, what's everybody's problem with this. So as as you're learning the tools, as you're learning 3D animation, are you learning storytelling at the same time? Or are you just interested in just the 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 art of animation? So like the first time I really like that took the turn for storytelling. Like I always like kind of fantasized or daydreamed or whatever in a mild interest in story, but never really good at it, uh, to be honest. Uh, I had a game design teacher who was Steg Headland. Um, he was uh, the designer for Diablo 2, of all things. Oh, wow. So it was not a small name, right? Like it's not a small dude. <laughs> and I had this guy who was post Diablo 2 success. And uh, he introduced me to the concept of like mythology and uh like using those as tools like all these old stories using those as building blocks for your own narratives and so uh we bonded over that um so i was like huge i was interested in the ring of the nebelung which is like this opera german opera uh the right of the valkyries right has come from that so that was like my introduction to the storytelling and not the hero's journey that we know, like the Jungian hero's journey. No, like all these other different types of uh, archetypes. And so from there, that's where I like my, my narrative journey began. I mean, it's still going and it changes. And now it's a little bit more surreal and absurd as compared to reference material. Ooh, go into more detail about that. You've you've got me hooked about this surreal oh. and absurd storytelling. This is this is good. So over the past couple of years, uh, so like as a I don't know, as teaching, right? We have to teach animation, right? But we always have to have like a vehicle to get the students started, right? Like, okay, let's start with this and then we'll work from there. And so I came up with this project where like the first time I had them just rotoscope over me talking. And I said, you know what you do? Like Here's all these black and white Xeroxed images, and I want you to just like destroy me, right? <laughs> I want you to draw over, put the googly <laughs> eyes, right? Like, you know, like cut out my face, draw all over me, right? Like, do all that, do just destroy it. And so the students, they, I mean, they had a lot of fun with that because, you know, they get to like, oh, let's, let's do Carl and drag, you know, <laughs> or let's like incorporate real three-dimensional objects in the, into this like xeroxed paper and i was like wow so i sent i gave them this project i and they gave it to me tenfold as a level of absurdity <laughs> and so from that moment i was like man this is a revelation into itself and so I, you know, I go to shutterstock imagery and i download like all kinds of like just open source right stuff and then i cut it up into this non it's non-linear but you know, it's just absurd. And it's like, oh, no, this is a girl grocery shopping. And then <laughs> this other person has flowers. And I just like Einsteinian montage it together, right? Just like throw things together just, just to see what happens. And then I hand it off to the students. And then they do some absurd level of whatever, right? They start incorporating aliens and, <laughs> and all kinds of things to it. Yeah, right. You know, whatever. And uh, so I'll take that back. And then what I do is I respond back in my own work. So students don't even know they're really like giving me all this source material. <laughs> right. And so I respond back to theirs with my own take, right? 
then they'll like draw aliens, but then I'll do like my own version of an alien. And now this is my new piece. So uh, I have this new animation that's coming out. It's like almost towards the end here. It's called Travel Expenditure. And it is a surreal response to having to go to this meeting at the university (laughs) about how to like, hey, we have to account for all your travel funds. And and so it has all these ridiculous pie charts that I had to fill out. Oh, my gosh. And it was, I mean, it's ridiculous, right? This is the government efficiency at work. And so I was like, okay, so now I have a visual representation of travel expenditure while I'm narrating like the absurdity of this going on. And the students have responded to this work. And now I'm responding back to their work. And I've made a short piece on that. So it's about three minutes. My mind is completely blown thinking about not only have you found a way to like create art for yourself, but to engage students and respond to government bureaucracy. I mean, that that just absolutely that, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I feel like it is, but you know. I'm I'm flashing back to when you're describing cutting up like shutterstock images and and black and white Xerox of, of artwork. Yeah. I'm flashing back to Terry Gilliam and Monty Python where he would do the same with Renaissance art. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. He would, he would pull up the newspaper and he would cut out these people from the newspaper and then we would just color them. However he thought they would, should be colored. Right. And then he would animate them under glass. And I'm like, man, that, that is cool. It's just cool what you can do when I guess there's something about when it's not so precious, when art isn't precious or so serious that that you can just remove it from its original context and then bring it into that realm where it takes on another life. Oh, absolutely. So especially, I don't know, I don't know how this is for anybody else, but for me, animation specifically, it's like so much work, especially when it's a frame by frame level. It's just like so much. And so for 3D animation, so much forward work that you have to do until like there's actually a two dimensional image that gets popped out or even with like two dimensional pen and paper. Right. It's just like so much effort goes into this. There's a couple different takes there. And it's like you either feel like it's pompous and like, no, I did all this effort and it needs to be regal. Right. Or, <laughs> right. It, it, you know, it has to be accepted in that way. Yeah. But my response is always like, when does it become so just absurd, right? The whole process is ridiculous, right? Like, okay, I have this paper and then I'm going to draw this circle and I'm going to draw the circle about 1500 more times, you know? <laughs> so for me, it's just, it is always it's been surrounded with ridiculousness. And I've had this conversation with some other people. I just like, when do we step back and laugh at it for me pretty quickly? I don't <laughs> When I think of 3D animation, there's like the whole art of modeling and, you know, creating these three-dimensional characters. But then there's the whole procedural animation that is so fascinating to where you can actually just start tweaking these values in these boxes and it creates that the world of abstraction in a different way that is yeah. intriguing to me. So I have a friend who worked or, or did work. It's just unfortunate. She, uh, he worked at Blue Sky uh, Studios as a visual effects, right? And he, he, had, he delved in the realm of, of procedural animation. So all the smoke, fog, explosions, and procedurally generating that stuff. And yeah, no, it's absolutely extremely fascinating. And sometimes there's like, no, you can do some, some of the some wacky terrain generation or just wacky waveform generations that 
almost like immediately look aesthetically pleasing, right? Especially in vaporwave, right? Vaporwave aesthetics have become really big in this in these last couple of years. Ooh, what's that? I, I don't know if I know that. Well, Beeple did it for a while, right? Mike Weekelman. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Mr. 69 million NFT. Oh, there you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So like he he started out uh, kind of doing stuff like that, right? Procedurally generated animation and cinema 4D, just tweaking values and like using music to drive these uh, visual effects. And so he did that a couple of years ago. It was, I think it's a good six or seven years ago. But now it's become like where it's all cyan and red and yellows, right? And it looks like, uh, I don't know. I call it Trapper Keeper art in another way, right? Like right. all that five-star Trapper Keepers. Yeah, I remember those. Those were great. Yeah. No, but you can get some sweet stuff, man. Like, uh, I don't know. Like graphically, it just stands out, right? Yeah. Okay, so vapor vaporware is vapor wave. Vapor wave, not vaporware. Hello, uh, it's w- where you're creating those worlds with procedural animation. Sure. Yeah. Okay. There's some of that. Yeah. Okay. And some of it's like on purpose, right? They'll use the old uh, gradients, uh, text gradients. Okay. From the from the early aughts, you know. <laughs> we were watching The Rock last night, and it's like they're doing that push in on the title with like, you can see the mask of the fire and it's not perfect. And this is kind of like, Oh yeah. 1996 graphics. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and sometimes it, yeah, no, it's absolute. It's uh, it's cool to go back and look mm-hmm. and go, man, like how do we even operate? Right. What blows my mind is you think about how like print layout was done in the past before computers, but how animation was done before even computers where you're drawing frame by frame on actual film strips. I mean, that starts to blow my mind. Oh yeah. No scratch, uh, scratch art or the, uh, what's the, the aha music video. They actually uh, drew with uh, whiteout. They would white out the, the frame, right. And paint it wow. and then come back and paint with pencil on the whiteout and then re-expose that. And right. Like that's the aha video. And then there's other people who would actually, they would scratch the negative um, out. Yeah. And so this, when they when you scratch the, that lets more light in, right? And then you could expose that again. And that's how like you would get all these wacky glow effects. There's this uh, black exploitation film, uh, Bruce Leroy. It's like The Last Dragon. Yeah, I remember The Last Dragon. So he has, he's got the glow, right? It's, it's, it's also a song, right? And so all those glow effects are scratch-ins on the negative. Wow. That's amazing. That's just a level of creativity that is hard to comprehend when now we just go to the effects menu and we can generate a glow. Yeah, absolutely. Drag and drop. <laughs> drag, drag and drop. drop After Effects glow. That's right. And yeah. I hate to sound like a, an old man here, but it's just like there, there's something to be said about the effort from the past to really connect to the idea that you're trying to bring to life. No, absolutely. Like uh, there's people that are forward, so forward thinking. They've created a new generation of artists that look in the look at the world in a different way. Mm. So, as an animator for yourself, is is that what you're trying to do? Like, what are you trying to do with your animation? Yeah. So no, no. Currently, like it, it is a it's exploration and absurdity. Because as now I've, I've become an old man, I've realized <laughs> that like I don't know, I've crossed forty. And I no longer uh, belong in the world of 
this new world. And so now I'm going to, I'm going to embrace the old stuff mm-hmm. and be like Jackson Pollock and just like, I'm just going to throw paint <laughs> on the wall and see what happens. And, and I'm going to like, Hey, you guys explain to me what that meant. Cause I, <laughs> cause I have, I have, uh, I have mental disorders. I don't know. I can't even remember the day. <laughs> so I'm going to be the old man, you know, scream, get off my lawn. By what you explain my art, explain my art to me. That's right. Cause someone will inevitably explain what your art is for you so why spend the time to figure it out on your own oh yeah right absolutely (laughs) it's a i think it takes a lot of age to get get to that point where you're comfortable with going like nah as a professor of animation what are the challenges of that so first of all i'm like extremely student-centric you come into my classroom i want to know who you are right and i'm one-on-one with everybody Although I'll forget everybody's name. That's the kind of my running gag. Like, you know, four years from now, you leave and graduate. Next year, I won't even remember your name. But I'll remember everything they do, right? That's the other jokes. I'll I'll know all the stories they've ever told. You know, I have that down. Um, So I'm really student-centric. And so what I try to do is find out, you know, A, what is their background? You know, why are they here? Why do they want to learn animation? Um, what type of animation are they into? Right? Is it 2D animation? Is it stop motion? Is, you know, physical puppeteering, right? Is it 3D animation? Um, is it game design, right? Like, where do they want to go? What's their goal? And uh, so I'll try to, within the bounds of my curriculum, try to gauge each and every one of those, and engage each and every one of those students in in their endeavor. So I have projects that are, you know, they're universal for everyone. They're all the projects. But for each one, each student, I try to kind of listen to what they want to do. And and I uh, critique their work based on their life goals, right? So for me, the challenges are kind of mundane, though. Like, everyone's obsessed with anime, you know? <laughs> like, let's get over that, guys. Let's, let's move on. Let's explore some new stuff. I'm not into the next JoJo animation or, you know. I mean, Attack on Titan is pretty sweet, but let's move the conversation forward. <laughs> And, and talk about some uh, some history of animation and and other stuff too. So that's what I get is like the the popular culture fascination instead of trying to uh, I want to turn them into independent artists, right? I want to turn them into the next creator. And so that I have to instill in them some like levels of critical thinking and personal identity and self-esteem. Those are the real challenges, I think. I can't think of a better way to ex- to describe the challenges than that whether you're a student in your classroom or just a human being making their way through the world. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, self-awareness is a, is a definitely a hard trait to learn. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be more challenging now because, I don't know, there was something about when you were picking up a craft in the 80s, the 70s, the 90s, where you didn't have maybe that awareness of what everyone around you was doing. But you had kind of like the, the the stars or the highlights in the industry, whereas now we have to manage all of it. Right. So it's hard for me to like go back in time and realize like I know I think I had it I had it pretty sweet because like <laughs> right like we the, we have the bane what's that bane meme right like I was born in it mm-hmm. like you know yeah <laughs> that one um <laughs> so like the internet right I was born in it man like ninety six. Mm-hmm. I'm like in high school and the internet's out. Yeah. Like 
No, and like we're making web pages and just because we have to learn it, right? So we yeah. have to learn HTML code by ourselves. It's not like mom and dad are going to teach us. It's not like our, any other teachers know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> and so right. we have to like, we had to adapt. And then, you know, we had to adapt through social media and then we had to adapt to the computer. The computers were, I mean, these things are revolutionary than what they were when I was a kid. And we just adapted. We like, we just had to. And now I think about like the next generation where, where we grew up and there was no standardization. They're growing up in a world where the standardization has been thrust onto them. They had to identify with an iPhone, iPhone graphic design, iPhone like user interface design. That's it. That's like that's what you had to deal with, or you had Windows or Google or all those things have like been predetermined by someone else, and they had to navigate the space that way. They didn't have to navigate the the anarchy that was the late '90s internet, right? I, that's why I think, <laughs> and I think that's it's worse off for it, right? I hear a lot of people talk about the importance of user experience now, and while I understand that, there was still something magical about like hideous, you know, sixteen <laughs> color graphics with a horrible outline that you're hiding, you know, on a transparent graphic with a dark right. background color or whatever. <laughs> and just, you know, the the almost that magical experience of exploring in a way that wasn't saying this is how you need to explore this. Right, right. Not I don't and so they didn't have those challenges, yeah. I, I think, is the is the is the deal. Mm -hmm. I was talking with a, a friend a couple weeks ago. We were talking about like, man, if we had YouTube when we were going to school, you know, that kind of that oh, that yeah, kind of yeah. conversation. I think you and I learned the internet the same way, where we're like view source, and you're looking at someone else's code, and and you're breaking all of the rules, and, right. and you're like, oh, I'm going to update the status bar with a message now, you know, in JavaScript, you know. Yeah. I mean, there there were no div tags, right. When I learned web, right, like it was all frames, mm -hmm. right. So the, like the, the beauty of div tags, right, the, <laughs> the beauty of like being able to separate separate something, that's amazing, but also at the same time it's it's limiting because it's controlled i thought also like the other part is like yeah we have access to all this information and it's readily available but i think information retention is is going down right like oh i need to know what this this formula is or i need to know how this is done and you'll look it up you'll get the answer you'll replicate it and then it's gone and what i'm thinking too is is like not only can we find every answer that we need, but we also have to feel like we need to retain, not retain it all, but know it all before we actually do anything with it. Oh yeah, no, that's a big, oh, for students, mm -hmm. that is a huge undertaking. So like you will like, hey, let's let's try something. Let's try this new thing and I'll show you all these buttons and we can do this <laughs> thing. And and then the, they'll go, okay, but like, how do you do this? And I go, no, no, stop. I didn't talk about that. Let's just do this. <laughs> right. I just told you. Because we don't want to do it all. And so, yeah, no, they they want more information, but then they get into, I mean, it's not imposter syndrome because I think that's overused, but they get to the point where it's apprehension because they don't have all the information ready to go. They want to make a masterpiece right out the gate. Well, and the nice thing about experimental animation or even experimental film is that, you know, you're baking exploration and failure into the process. 
Oh, absolutely. That's what's so fun about it. Yeah. I love failure, by the way. I don't really? know. That's a, that's a rant onto itself, right? Ooh. I love failure on so many levels. I love showcasing my failures in front of the, the like the most broadest of audiences because I like to go like, look, this is me messing up and I'm okay with it. I, I want you guys to be okay with it too, right? Wow. So what's your favorite failure story? <laughs> oh, man, I... I don't know if I can get into that one. I don't, I don't know if I can have a like the the smart ass in me wants to go. Well, my marriage. Oh, <laughs> ouch. You know, <laughs> but uh, no, I really don't know. Like a visual one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, because it, it's like it has to be in context of what you're talking about with a student and you're able to be like, OK, this is an example of a failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me. So I, I did this like project where I did 365 gifts. Oh, wow. For you know, one every single day, right? One of those daily type things. And man, that that whole process is rife with failures, right? <laughs> like you can go back every single day and go like, oh, there was that moment. That was a, there was, there's this. Um, but then there's like all these kind of successes too, right? Built in. So what prompted you to create the Mobile Animation Film Festival? Out of selfishness, I'll be, I'll be right out the gate. I'll just make it up. So out of raw selfishness. Perfect. Um, so there's a couple different things that got it started, though. So I interviewed for the job down here in, in Mobile um, to become, you know, professor of animation and start the program here. And they ask you, hey, where do you see yourself in five years? You know, that's a typical one. But I already had on my plate whatever university I landed at. I was going to start a film festival in that town because there's not enough community engagement in animation specifically there's most towns have like a short film or a 24 hour blast like film program like most people have a film program but where they'll go out and they'll shoot film for 24 hours and then cut it all together right and they'll have a showing um, like we have that here but there aren't a lot of like animation centric showings and especially like not kid friendly like i want stuff that's just like all over the map uh, <laughs> that's not just kid cartoons right like spike and mike <laughs> yeah i want to see people like animation that's not just cartoons right? not the not gi joe right so out of that is like i want to be recognized for being the person that brings that to the town you know and so that's what i mean when i say like you know out of selfishness but also it uh it helps me connect with the community in a way that I, as an introvert, I'll put that in there, I, as, as much as it sounds like I'm probably an extrovert, I am totally an introvert. And it forces me to meet new people in the community. What's the community's understanding of animation? Because that's part of the process, I imagine, is understanding their level of understanding of animation and, and helping them to see it differently. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone I talk to always just thinks cartoons, right? They all think like GI Joe or, you know, my little pony or, you know, they always think of that and that well, from my generational standpoint, or the new one is like, they all think of it as like anime or, or their cousin watches this show. Right. Um, oh, it's like a Pixar film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Pixar ones. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. Right. Yeah. I always, that's always my, like, what do you teach? And I go, well, I teach animation. Like, oh, yeah. And I go, yeah. Uh, you know, like Pixar stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I teach that. So, yeah, no, the community engagement is typically like they see that and they go, but we don't have anybody that does that. No one makes animation locally, typically, right? We're not, I mean, I'm down here in Mobile, Alabama. It's not, we're not Georgia, you know, Atlanta, Georgia. Or we're not LA where, you know, Disney or 
we're not Vancouver either, right? So we're kind of out here in the sticks, but it's not the sticks. It's a big town. So the, the engagement is, is they don't have a clue what animation really is capable of. So that's why I tried to, I tried to hook up with uh, the museums to give it a sense of validity, mm, right? Yeah. Especially when you, when you engage the community in a kind of in that pompous way that you're like, no, this is the museum, right? We're like, we're all in suit and ties and, <laughs> and this stuff has meaning and this is art. And I'm going to like, you know, push my glasses up on my nose a little bit and go like, this is high art. <laughs> and then it's a cartoon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but then sometimes it's not right. Like there's so much good animation out there. That's never seen that somebody put their like heart and soul into, and it just, it dies on the internet. You know, what I'm hearing you say is it's, it's as much about the animation community as, as it is the community of mobile. Oh, for sure. For, well, for me, it's like, so the creation of the mobile animation film festival is to bring to mobile an outlet for other people to see that like animation a can be like this whole other thing, right? It's not just cartoons. And then I also give that people, the community, the artist community, the animators have submitted their films. They submitted their work. And then I give them an outlet to say, Hey, you know, these 50 people that showed up to this, to this festival saw your work. And I usually, I, I talk to all the people that submitted their films. I send it me emails and letters and whatnot. And I tell them like, no, this is the reaction that people got. They laughed at this part, and you know, <laughs> nice. or they, you know, somebody told me they cried. You know, this part. <laughs> and so I, I want you got those guys to know those girls that you know made this animation. I want them to know. So, are you taking in submissions all over the world, or is it from Mobile out? Oh no, it's it's completely it's it's international. It's everywhere. Nice. So I uh, I have four categories now. Um, so I have international student i have a national student which is just the united states in terms of national and then i have just national animation which is the united states proper and then uh international animation Ooh. so we have four categories and within that i've asked the the people that submit now to kind of subcategorize their their art like is it experimental or is it like adult content or is this kid content kind of in that genre so that we can now split up the animation festival into these different sub venues because it, it became a, it came a, a big deal. Like we had four hours of content oh, wow. on one of these festivals and I'm like, well, nobody's going to sit down for four hours to watch animation. <laughs> that's a, that's a lot. I can't four hours of anything. This is Lord of the Rings, I guess. They could barely handle four hours of the Snyder cut. Oh, <laughs> that's a topic all its own, its own. <laughs> so uh yeah so like i realized that we have so much content that i wanted to give um all these different people an outlet to show their work and so so now we have different genre specific showing so like i have this upcoming show and it's going to be experimental animation and adult animation so when you're seeing animation come in from the states versus the international communities are you seeing similarities or are there a lot of differences well, there's definitely like similarities from different regions. If an animation comes from Iran, like I know it's going to be some like heavy handed religious piece. So let's kind of go to the wayside a little bit. I could go without another French dystopian film. <laughs> I, I don't have to see another one of those <laughs> in my lifetime. Uh, I'm not the only one that has this comment, by the way. Uh, so I feel comfortable saying it. 
but in the bigger broader picture no there's like everybody has uh I mean, there's a lot of ideas that are always kind of similar within the year, like, you know, this last year, it's, it's all COVID centric, you know, and then the year prior to that, it was definitely like a, I think it was a touch on a little bit of like animal cruelty was a, was kind of a big one. Like you would be surprised you get a thousand entries and like a solid 50 of them are about animals. So oh, fascinating. Like in animal cruelty and you go like, whoa, what happened that year? You know? Yeah. So there's definitely like these other trends um, and they, uh, they change year to year, but overall, like, I think we really are global, right? Um, when the United States has animation versus the international animation, uh, there's not a lot of differences. I find that incredibly hopeful because it, it shows the almost what universal nature of art. Yeah, no, absolutely. For sure. That uh, I think we all as a, as a people, right. Want to showcase our work. So where do you see animation going? If you were to put on your visionary futuristic goggles designed by people, you know, what does, what does the future of animation look like? I think kind of the kitschy one is like, it's virtual reality. Definitely. We're going to be in a ready player one uh, (laughs) world, but hopefully not as, as pedantic as, as a bunch of DeLoreans in a race, you know, hopefully it's not that, (laughs) but I believe the world, yeah, we're definitely on the verge of virtual reality. I think we're going to watch pieces that are absolutely, you know, 400, 360 degree encompassed animations and storytelling. But I think that few, that's, I think that's, you know, 10 or 20 years off still, you know, but the technology is now here, right? Where that stuff is deliverable. And in that sense, I think the the future is more environmental storytelling. And I don't mean that in like the climate change kind of in format. I believe it's going to be more about like you are part of the ride, right? Mm-hmm. It's Universal Studios. You have your headset on or you have your, your next Windows glasses on, you know, what is the only lens or something? What are the... They just had something. They just uh, signed something with Macrovision and oh, the, the military. Wow, I didn't see that. Oh yeah, no, their uh, Microsoft stock like went up like ten bucks because they just signed like a twenty-two billion dollar deal with the military. Oh wow, okay. To like you know do virtual reality, right? So, tra- oh, I mean, train troops, right? Yeah, interesting. From f- flight simulators to war simulators. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. There's money there. There's, <laughs> speak to the politics of that but from a craft centric place like man there's a lot of uh, a lot of innovation happens there oh for sure because i mean going back to the foundation of the internet coming up out of the government and the military of you know arpanet and all that it is yeah. it is interesting the intersection between government and business and what that does yeah for sure no and that's i think that's fascinating Maybe another topic for another <laughs> another day. I don't know. Exactly. It's so big. It's so big. Yeah. Well, and that's what I love about what you're doing, bringing animation to communities so that people can see just how vast and massive that and rich that world is. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's uh, It can be as mundane as like, you know, the story that for the day, right? Like this is what happened to me today. And it can be a story about like, know what's happening to a generation. It can be a, you know, it can be a story of absurdity and anything, right? Like animation can literally be anything. And I, it's beyond the scope of film. 
it's beyond the scope of a video game, right? It's an experience that we can we can either sit back and experience it or we can we can fully engage our brain in it. And I think that's amazing. Where my brain just jumped to at that moment was you know, you're watching the animation and then you download the recipe for your 3D printer to like create the characters for you. And then you can have like your immersive action figures and, and like play settings. And you can totally create these worlds in reality with 3D printers. Oh man, don't don't let Disney know that, that they can just <laughs> download a car. They can download Mickey Mouse. That's you know, right. They can just download all the Pokemon characters and print them. You know, they've, them already, know that. they've already thought it. That's nothing new to them. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm surprised they don't have their own, like, here's your 3D models. Of right. Your, just download your action figure. I don't know about you. Like, do you have WWF action figures when you're a kid? Or oh, heck like yeah. Like uh, Star yeah. Wars characters, WWF characters. Uh, my wife and I still love buying action figures and toys. So, you know, we're we're kids at heart still. Yeah, so absolutely. Where's the 3D design? You know, like I just want to print mm-hmm. that right, like right now. As soon as 3D printers, you know, become the commonplace in homes, they're there. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> well, Carl, where can people learn more about your work and the Mobile Animation Film Festival? So there's a mobileanimationfilmfest.com, right? And that's uh, that'll probably forward you to my uh, website, which is sillydragon.com. Great name. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I got it. I got it back in 2001. Perfect. So, so the mobileanimationfilmfest.com, uh, sillydragon.com is my personal website. Uh, they can find me on Instagram as carl.jonky. I think I have the Mobile Animation Film Fest. All underscores is the Instagram for, for the Mobile Animation Film Festival. Thank you for listening to Beyond Your Imagination with Chris Martin. Head to byi.show to learn more about Carl, find links to everything mentioned in this episode, as well as a complete transcript of the show. Until next time, may your action always be greater than your inspiration as you build worlds beyond your imagination.